Good evening, everyone. I just want to remind you, when we come together on Wednesday nights and do our study here, it's a little less formal than Sunday mornings, and, and I want you to feel free, you know, if I, if I ask a question from up here, to answer that question, or to, to ask a question, if I ask a question, feel free to answer the question, that's what I meant to say. Wow, my, my tongue is all tied up tonight. Um, so, it, when I ask a question, there's this dead silence, I'm going to wait a little bit and see if there's somebody who wants to say something, somebody has an answer for me, and if not, then I'll move on, but nobody has to say anything, but I do want you to feel free to, uh, to speak up when I, uh, when I may ask questions. And then tonight, we're starting at the, at the end of this, um, uh, I'm going to try to shorten it up from what it's been, because what we want to do is try to leave some time at the end for some questions and answers. If there's questions that, that you guys have, whether it's about tonight or something from uh, Brandon's sermon on Sunday, uh, anything you might have a question about, and we can just spend a little time uh, answering questions. And if, if I don't know an answer to a question, if, if Brandon's here and he doesn't know an answer to a question, we would love to um, study that and get back to you and give you an answer um, as soon as we possibly can. Because so, none of us know everything, um, but uh, I think it's one way that we can really learn together is, is by asking questions sometimes and, uh, and working through some things together. So that's what we're going to try to do as we get to the end of this tonight. Um, and so let's have a quick word of prayer as we get started uh, in the Word of God tonight and, uh, and continue where we left off last time. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for those that are here. We thank you for those that are uh, watching online. Uh, Father, as your word is taught uh, and, and considered, and as your spirit works in us, Lord, we ask that you would teach us, uh, that you would bring new understanding to our, uh, to our minds and our hearts, Lord, uh, that our, our attention, our uh, affections would be on you and your word, and as we look at the examples uh, of the Israelites that Malachi was dealing with, Lord, I pray that we would learn from their example of, uh, of what not to do, Lord, that we would turn to you in, in our lives in repentance and faith. Um, and we, as Matt prayed earlier, we're just so grateful for the gift of salvation through Christ. Uh, we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, tonight we'll be looking at the end of Malachi chapter 3, and we'll be starting in verse 16. Last week we, we saw how uh, the Lord said the people were speaking hard words against him. Okay, and this is, it's not God whining about his feelings being hurt here, okay? That's, that's not what's going on, uh, and that is not why what they were doing was bad. It, it, was, it was bad because of who God is and, and who human beings are. And there's no, there's no comparison there. We're not even close. We are created in his image, but we are fallen, sinful human beings. Uh, and, and for us to speak hard words against God uh, is, is extremely bad because he is holy, he is righteous, and, and perfect in every way. And uh, they, they were, those people were, and we are, sinners, um, we would never have, they didn't have, we could never have any justifiable reason to speak harshly uh, against God. Okay, we may think we do, but never legitimately would we have uh, a legitimate gripe against God. What were they doing? They were, they were talking amongst each other. They were not going to God with their concerns. They were talking amongst each other and saying hard things about God. They were uh, saying that to serve God was useless, was of no value at all. 
It was an empty pursuit to serve God. Uh, and really, that we saw they had been just going through the motions of, of serving God, going through the motions and pretending to be sorrowful over their sin when they really weren't. Um, and that's something that they, they can't hide from God. And do we remember, any of you that were here last time, do you remember why they had come to that conclusion that to serve God was an empty pursuit? Do you remember what, why they had determined that amongst themselves? What was that? I heard you mumble it. Uh, they did. They did want something in return. And what they thought they wanted in return is what they saw in the unbelievers, right? They were sinning, going on in all their sinful ways and disobedience and doing it right in God's face, and nothing was happening. There was no punishment coming or nothing. And, and so they did feel like they weren't getting anything in return for their service to God. Um, but, but because they looked around and, and at what they could see the unbelievers were openly doing. Uh, the, the, remember the scripture talked about those were arrogant evildoers that were doing all those things in the sight of God uh, to test him. And what they had thought was that God was doing nothing about it and he would do nothing about it. Uh, in fact, the evildoers were prospering in all their evil. Malachi 3.15 was, if you remember, and now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Okay? Basically, they escape judgment of any kind. And what Israel had determined was that living like the unbelievers was a better way to live. They had, they had hardened their hearts against God and, and they were blaspheming God to one another. Uh, they might as well sin and enjoy life because God really won't punish evil. And think about that for a moment. How bad is it for human beings to believe that God will not really punish evil? Honestly, I think next to Satan's first lie to a human being, isn't that the, really the biggest lie that Satan promotes in the hearts of mankind? That, that God will not punish evil? What's the result of telling sinful people that there are no consequences for anything? Name some things. What is the consequence for telling sinful people that there's, there's no consequences? What's the result of that? What's that? Okay, they would stop caring about others. That's sinful. Should be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Now you're back to the reason why they had determined this about God. Uh, for those that are at home, basically the comment is that when our children misbehave or something like that, we issue out punishment right away and it's over and done with. And that's what they weren't seeing. They were looking around at all the evil that was going on and, and no punishment. Nothing was happening. In fact, they were prospering. And so they had determined this about God. Um, and that really, that's where they were. We can see it in our nation. That's true. Yeah. And not just our nation, in the entire world because it's sinful human beings. And when you, when you add to it by saying, by really saying there's no consequences for, for uh, sin, then what else does that lead to? 
And we can kind of imagine it in our kids, right? If, if you tell your kids, do whatever you want, you won't get in trouble. Well, you know, yeah, great immorality. What's that? Chaos, Chaos right? Why, why should we not sin if there's no consequences, right? Yeah, it, it leads to, to every kind of sin you could possibly think of and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied uh, because some people might say, well, that's okay because, you know, human beings are basically good and they'll regulate themselves, okay? Well, scripturally speaking, that is absolutely not true. Uh, our hearts are, are the, all the intents and thoughts of our heart are only evil continually, is what the scripture says. Um, and there's many other passages that talk about the sinful nature of our, of humanness. And we really have to guard against falling into believing this lie. They knew that God had said, they knew what he had said about judgment and, for sinners, but now they stopped believing it because of the, the illusion of sinners prospering. Okay, that's what they were seeing. They had thrown out all of God's promises as lies and had all but abandoned him completely. Well, they really had abandoned him, but, but like I said earlier, they were, they were still going through some of the motions of being devoted to God. Okay? They were partially doing some things. Um, did they really think God wouldn't know they were faking it? Maybe. Maybe they thought they could fool God. You can't fool God with fake devotion. Uh, they couldn't. We can't. People can fool other people with fake devotion to things, right? But not God himself. And this is something for us to reflect on because are we really any different sometimes than, than these people that Malachi was dealing with? Do we ever go through the motions? Uh, do, do we pretend to be devoted to God, but inside we've really determined um, that God can't be trusted with some things? I think we kind of we live like that sometimes. Does what we see happening around us convince us that God really isn't concerned about sin? Because, well, look how sin abounds and nothing happens to sinners. That's, it's the same thing today. We see that, and it can really creep into your thinking. And if we really think about it, isn't what they were doing and, and what we even see today, isn't it really just an excuse? That, that's what it really is here. This is what really is involved, is, is that people are loving their sin and they're upset that, that they're being held back from sinning like the rest of the world. That's really what this is. They wouldn't say that, but that's what's going on. Um, and that is not a heart that has been convinced of the evil of sin, but a heart that thinks sin isn't really sin. What does the scripture say? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's a terrible thing. They needed godly leaders and others to warn them, like the writer of Hebrews warned uh, the people about this type of thing. In Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What? Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They had an evil, unbelieving heart. And what had it done? It led them to fall away from the living God. And those verses remind us of the deceitfulness of sin. It's something we don't usually, we think about sin being bad, but we don't usually think about the deceitfulness of sin. Seeing sinners supposedly 
supposedly prospering, tells our eyes and our minds that there is no judgment. That is the deception of sin. Do you see how that works? Why do, why do people fall into this deception? Are we not actually looking for a reason to justify sin because we really love our sin? That is what, what's going on here. The people were sinning and now making excuses for it, and what was really revealed about them is that they're not really children of God. They may have been born Israelites, but they're no more children of God than the, the pagans who had kept them in captivity. And Paul clarified this in Romans 2, uh, 28 and 29, uh, when he was giving a whole explanation about, about Jews and uh, and circumcision and that kind of thing. And he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Again, we, can, we see that God looks at the hearts of men and not their outward appearance. The outward good is often a mask for the inward evil. We can't hide that from God. We can hide it from other people. And the people of Malachi's day would have done well, and we, we would do well to go back to the Scriptures and be reminded about our sinfulness and God's holiness and that, the big difference that's there. They had no faith and so proved themselves to be false children of God. They were only Jews outwardly, like Paul talked about. For them and, and us, access to God... Uh, Access to God's rest or his salvation has always been through faith. But they didn't believe God. In Hebrews 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, uh, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. That passage goes on and God says in his his wrath, those who don't believe shall not enter my rest. These are dire warnings. And for God to speak to the people through Malachi the way that he's been talking to them through this whole letter, um, should bring about repentance. But for those who have hardened their hearts against God, judgment is coming. And he's said so several times in this book. Judgment is coming. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, that's Acts 17.31. It will come on the day that God determined it would come. He determined it before time even began. And you see, he has fixed that day. It will not be brought about early, and it will not be extended by anything man does. And let that be a warning to unbelievers and grace to those who are in Christ Jesus, the righteous one who will judge. It's grace to us as as Christians but a strong warning to unbelievers. And we are assured of that. Why? According to that scripture, because he was raised from the dead. It's proof. This brings us to our passage for this teaching time, and it it follows 
all of the dire warnings we have seen uh, in this book up till now. The first thing we'll notice then here is in our new passage for tonight, starting in verse 16, is, is a spark of hope. Now, almost like Malachi is saying, but wait, what do we have here? Let's read the passage, okay? Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured, treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Did you see that hope there in, in the first six words of that passage? Then those who feared the Lord. There's this, all this bad stuff and talking about all the people that are doing evil uh, and, and people speaking harshly. But then those who feared the Lord. And this tells us there were some righteous people. Well, how can that be when earlier God said, the whole nation of you is robbing me, right? The whole nation of you, he said. So how can it be that there's those who actually feared the Lord? Well, we talked uh, about it several weeks ago. That's, that's when the, the vast majority of the people are doing these evil things. Okay, when, when, when the vast majority of the nation is doing a particular thing or several particular things that are sinful, God can speak as if the whole nation is doing it. Okay? He's speaking to the nation as a whole. It doesn't mean that every individual person is doing that. So the, the warnings, the accusations go out to all of them. Um, it does not mean that there were not a few who still believed God, who still served God. We should understand, though, that it is a few. Okay, We're talking about, we don't know the number in particular, but when God says the whole nation of you are doing these evil things, it really is the vast majority. Okay, There's a small few who are still faithful to the Lord, um, and it's significantly less than those who are doing the evil. All the evil ones would look around and see the other evil ones and know that they're just as guilty as the rest. You know, misery loves company. They're just going to keep doing it. Well, they're all doing it too. You know, that's how the evil people would look at each other and they would just keep doing those things. Their thought process is probably, well, we're, we're going down together. After hearing all these warnings, if you were one there who did fear God and believe Him and did follow His commands and had not been like those others, what might you be wondering at this point? After hearing all these things that we've heard through this book, and including last week with their hard words they're speaking against God and the warnings from God, if you were in that few, what might you be wondering? What do you think? God's been warning. He's been promising destruction. All these things. What might you be thinking? Is there any end to it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, the questions of will, will God really save us? Yeah. Am I really saved or am I really righteous? Yeah. 
Am I one of the ones that he's talking about? Okay, you might be wondering that. Or even if you didn't, even if you knew, I, I am faithfully following the Lord, but all you've been hearing is all this stuff against the whole nation, right? You might start to wonder, am I going to get caught up in all that? Did God forget about me? I think the few might, might look around and see all the evil and perhaps begin to wonder if they might be swept up in what, all the judgment that's going to come. What if God doesn't see me? They might want to know, has God overlooked me? Well, what did they do? Well, it says, they spoke with one another. Those, those, uh, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Uh, we don't see exactly what they said to each other here. It doesn't list out, here's what they said. Uh, but they spoke with one another. Uh, and the same words are used here that were used of those who were speaking harsh words against God. They were speaking with one another. Remember, we talked about that. They weren't talking to God. They were talking amongst each other and furthering you know, all these false things about God. It's the same kind of thing that those who feared the Lord were doing. They were talking amongst each other. One who feared the Lord is going to another who he knew feared the Lord, and they were talking about these things. Not the harsh things that the other people were talking about, okay, but they were talking about the fear of the Lord and, and trusting in the Lord. They were in, trying to encourage one another. Okay? But do you hear the contrast here? What, what does that imply about the other people Malachi has been talking about? Okay? When it says, then those, those who fear the Lord, well, what does that say about the other people, the other those? They did not fear him. Yeah, it implies, here's this group that do fear the Lord. That means all the rest did not fear the Lord. And that's not new news as we've gone through this book. They've been accused by God of not fearing him many times. Okay, those people did not fear the Lord, meaning they did not give him honor. They did not give reverence to his name. They did not believe God. But these people did. They feared him. Okay? Uh, there's a big distinction here that's important to notice. So what, what are they doing when they spoke with one another? Uh, again, like I said, is not speaking harsh words about God. And I, can, I think we can see from the rest of the text that, that their conversation with one another had to do with God remembering them or not. That was their concern. Will, will I be caught up in this? Like I said, it doesn't say that, but you can kind of see from God's response that that's probably what they were talking about. Um, these verses are, that we're looking at tonight here are the Lord's answer to those people who actually did fear him. And I believe these people are, are God's remnant. All through the scriptures, we see God keeping a, a remnant for himself, even when he destroys the others. And these verses are intended to alleviate their anxiety and remind them that God always has a remnant of people who are his. And one example of this is found in, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, where it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. This is Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. There's this fear from Elijah, but he's laid these charges against the people, all the things that they've done, thrown down his altars, they've forsaken his covenant, they've killed the prophets, the, the, the 
people, people of God, the Israelites, were doing these terrible things. And then down in verse 18 of that, after giving instructions about how to handle the, the evil things they were doing and who to appoint to, to this or that and who to replace him, God tells Elijah uh, about his remnant in 1 Kings 9.18. It says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, He's talking about idol worship. All those who have not worshipped idols and not departed from, from the Lord, God has kept them as a remnant. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. In Romans 11, we see Paul uh, further explaining this, this thing that we just read in Kings, this event with uh, Elijah. He further explains this and describes this very event regarding the remnant of Israel. Look at Romans 11, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Talking about the Jews. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He's quoting what we just read in Kings. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he continues here. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Okay, God, God has this remnant of people. He's, he's always got his remnant of people. Paul is pointing out uh, that God has chosen these people, the remnant. And they do not bow the knee to idols. You see, the remnant is faithful to God, and in, in some number, this in that case was 7,000, but in some number they will always exist because God keeps them. He preserves them. They are his true people that he comes for. And for us, it is uh, those of us who are in Christ, those who are in Christ are the ones that God will strengthen and to endure and to stand firm, and he will never lose any one of his children because God is so gracious to save them from the wrath to come. So here is the people who actually fear God, speak with one another. Look at what the text says happens in the rest of verse 16. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The Lord paid attention and heard them. God listened to what they were saying. They were, they were not accusing God or speaking harshly. They were honoring God. And in reverential fear, at, and at this, a book of remembrance was written before God. What was the book about? About those people. About the fact that they feared the Lord and esteemed his name. For them to esteem the name of the Lord is that they're giving him what he deserves. They are giving him his proper due. So there's a question. Do you think God forgets things? <laughs> well, well, not if he writes them down, right? <laughs> Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
And 1 John 3.20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. But Hebrews 8.12 and other similar verses seem to suggest that God forgets. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The thought that God can actually forget and not know something really doesn't fit with him being all-knowing, does it? The idea is here is, in regard to our sin, God no longer remembers our sins against us for condemnation. Meaning Christ, being in Christ, our sins are paid for and forgiven. He no longer remembers them. He no longer calls them up against us for condemnation. Okay? It's not that he didn't know they happened or has forgotten all about them, but he has, God has determined himself to do what with them? To put them as far away as the east is from the west. If you are in Christ, he will not call them up against you for condemnation. And to help us grasp the fact that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, he uses language that we can understand and says things like, I will remember them no more. So we, can, we, get, we get that. If I remember something no more, I, I don't remember it. But we have to remember who God is. He knows everything. He doesn't forget anything. But he can choose to not recall that thing and Hold it against us for condemnation if we're in Christ. All knowledge is at God's disposal at all times. So what we see here in this text is God reassuring his true children that it is written down in his book of remembrance. You see, we get that. We, we have to write things down to remember them, don't we? Or we know that when someone writes something down, that maybe that we've told them, it's, it's very important you're writing it down, why? Because I don't want to forget it. I, I might forget something if I don't write it down. And the whole reason for this word picture of writing and books and remembrance is not because God doesn't remember things or God, he's just a forgetful God. I need to remind him, right? It's not because of that. Uh, it's to convey the message to the people that God knows. Okay? He knows them. He knows their faith in him. He knows they fear him. He will never forget them. They can trust their Lord in this matter. And the intent here is to emphasize the permanent nature of what he is remembering. And beyond just remembering something for the sake of knowledge, okay, uh, the words here are intended to remind them that God will not only remember but act on, what he's, act on his knowledge. And would do what? Deliver them from the wrath to come. He's... he's comforting them with these words. Malachi goes on with more promises from God for these faithful people, Malachi 3.17, in our passage tonight. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured, treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. The fact that God's true people would be his treasured possession goes all the way back to the time of Moses. Exodus 19, 4 through 5, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, he says. And in the next chapter, after telling them what sin is and what the punishments for certain sins are, God says this, You shall be holy to me, 
For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Okay? He's differentiating between his people and the rest of the people. God is holy. He is set apart. His people are set apart and are to be holy. Well, why would someone push back against that kind of language? That God would say someone is his possession. Why would somebody push back against that? You don't own me, okay? Yeah, we don't want to be owned. (laughs) But the scripture talks about how God has bought us with a price. That we can see why the world would push back against that kind of language. People want to be their own God. They want want a word in this. I, I want to say in this. Why should this be a gracious thing in the eyes of Christians? Because of the alternative. Because I'm not getting what I actually deserve. Because this is an expression of the greatest love ever shown. That God would call Christians, he would say, they're mine. My treasured possession. Also notice that he tells them in this, uh, in connection with the day they are worried about. The day of judgment. This is to remove those fears and that they would be counted among uh, their, their fears that they might be counted among the unbelievers and to remind them that, no, you are mine. I treasured you as my possession. No matter what your eyes may tell you, what's going on out there, I will not lose you. He says, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. That they would be spared when everyone else is not should bring comfort Some of your Bibles might say here, I will have compassion on them. And that is the idea of being spared in light of their sin, that God would have compassion on them. He spares them. And this is a great difference from what everyone else will have to bear. Actually, God warns them to know and to think about this this particular distinction. Look at what it says next in Malachi 3.18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Remember, the eyes of the people have been looking at unbelievers as if they're the blessed ones, as if unrepentant sinning is the better way to live. But this is, like we talked about earlier, it's a deception. The unbelievers have been deceived by sin into thinking there will be no judgment. God's people need to be reminded that there is a distinction. So they may may have begun to think differently. Um, He's telling them, you shall see the distinction. The distinction is this, that those who serve the Lord are the wicked, made righteous, and will get what they don't deserve on that day, which is to be saved by God in his gracious mercy. And here's the part of the distinction, that those who do not serve the Lord are the wicked. Period. Not the wicked made righteous, they are the wicked who get exactly what they have earned and deserve judgment and eternal punishment. What's being described here is very relevant to us as well. We get the same kind of warning and promise from Jesus in a parable he told about what the kingdom of heaven could be compared to. And in that passage, Jesus makes a distinction between uh, between wheat and weeds, or your Bible might say tares, The wheat represents the righteous and the weeds represent the wicked. Jesus describes them as both growing together at the same time uh, in the field. And that 
the weeds have been planted by the enemy. When the servants of the master asked if they should go and pull up the weeds, uh, the master said to leave them because he didn't want the wheat to be gathered with the weeds. Are you seeing any similarities here to the people in Malachi's day? The master knew about the weeds, but left them in with the wheat until the right time, harvest time, the day, right? Matthew 13.30, in following that just brief summary there, here's what it, what it ends with. Let both grow together until the harvest. Okay, this is Jesus talking. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, the master wasn't unaware. He had not forgotten, and he would make sure that the weeds would be gathered together into bundles and burned. But what would happen to the wheat? His people. They would be gathered into the barn of the master. And let us not be deceived by sin into thinking there's no punishment or judgment. Let us be reminded, like God reminded his people in Israel, that we are his treasured possession. Those of us who are in Christ, we are his treasured possession. He has not forgotten us. But let us also not forget that Christians are not a treasured possession because we are such a great treasure, okay? but because of the one who treasures. That treasure us brings glory to Christ who pulled the wheat from the weeds by accomplishing salvation on the cross and justification through his resurrection from the dead. God treasures saved sinners because every saved sinner forces the eyes upon the righteous Savior. Okay, we are not so lovable, but God loves his own glory. And what there's no better, better example of how God receives glory than Wicked sinners being saved by a righteous Savior. That's, he wanted to comfort his people with these words, reminding them that he hasn't forgotten about them. And they'll see the distinction. Not yet, but in that day, they will see it. That the, the encouragement there is to stay the course. Okay? Any questions about that? Well, let me close in prayer, and then we'll get to a kind of more official question and answer time. And if you have questions about this or anything else, then we can, we can talk about that. Now let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight, and thank you, Lord, that we can see how you comforted your true followers, those who feared you, Lord, with these words. And it brings comfort to us as well, several thousand years later, Lord, that we can be reminded that you are God Almighty, and you always have your remnant. You will keep your people and we thank you for that. We thank you for our salvation, Lord, that is not flimsy and, uh, and, not, uh, and, is, and is untrustworthy, Lord, but you tell us that it's being kept for us in heaven. We don't keep it because we would lose it. But, Father, you hold on to it and you keep it. It is sure because of Christ and because of repentance and faith in Christ. We thank you for that gift. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.